right, so we can try and take questions now. All right, Emmanuel. But Emmanuel, dummy, the mic. Thanks, Femi. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing I would like to say before I ask the questions is, please, if you could make your notes available. Um, some of us can't assimilate yeah. well without notes. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I have three questions. I'll be very brief. The first one is on um, Arianism. Oh, last prayer, yes. So he says, Jesus, the son of the eternal God, yeah. have mercy on me. And so the question is, um, to what extent would you say people who don't have an accurate view of, um, <laughs> sorry, an accurate view of God or of the Trinity are believing a false gospel and hence are not saved? Um, is, it, is it important to have all your dots aligned in order to be saved? Second is, um, I know you probably are aware of this, but just to give a general overview. And so I, I think about two weeks ago, Andrew Wilson featured a short quote on Christophanes from um, St. Augustine. And he said something to the effect that one reason why Augustine didn't believe in the concept of Christophanes um, is because it makes, it, it rubbishes the doctrine of the incarnation. Basically that where would the um, it, it, eternal son have gotten his body from and all those other sorts Sorry, of just things. Sorry, Justin, Christophanes is basically... <clears throat> The appear the appear the teaching of the appearance of the second person of the Trinity prior to the incarnation. So, did the second person of the Trinity appear in the Old Testament, basically? All right. So the question now would be, um, but those Old Testament passages find people worshiping those appearances. So you find Joshua bowing down to the captain of the of the Lord's host. Um, Melchizedek and all those other people. So we still have, if this isn't Jesus Christ, then who is it? And then lastly, the, the third question would be, there was also some controversy um, last year on eternal functional submission. Yes, and I have avoided that. All right. Okay. <laughs> I have avoided right, and I'll okay. continue to avoid it okay. until I... So there, on the last point, there was, there's an issue of whether or not, you know, it says the son, the father sends the son. The Son doesn't send the Father, and the Spirit doesn't send the Son or the Father. And so there's always been a question that in the Trinity, even though they are equal in being, are they equal in their roles? That is, has the Son always eternally been subordinate to the Father? And 1 Corinthians 11 is one of those passages. And it's used then to say, look, if the persons of the Godhead are equal, and yet one submits to the other, then you take 1 Corinthians 11. Christ, um, the man is the head of the woman. Christ is the head of the man, but God is head of Christ. So does that mean that the son has been eternally subordinate to the son? For now, I'm parking my place and saying, no, he's not been eternally subordinate. And that was Christ he was talking about. That's the incarnate son, not the second person of Trinity. But that's another thing. We can talk about that. On your second question on the Christophanies, my short answer is I don't know. It's not the same thing to say, was that Jesus Christ? It's not the same thing as saying, was that Jesus Christ? And was that the second person of the Trinity? Jesus Christ doesn't come until the incarnation. 
right? We know that. Jesus Christ doesn't come until the incarnation. The question is, all these times in the Old Testament, when you see, like Abraham, and we talked about it last time, when Abraham is the angel of the Lord that is speaking to Abraham, it will say Yahweh is speaking, then later, but we know it was the angel that was speaking. Moses went to the burning bush. Yahweh was speaking to him, but it was also the angel of the Lord that was speaking to him. And this angel of the Lord is so, you know, um, almost united with the person of Yahweh. All I said last week, and I'll stay, uh, not last week, last time was, there seems to be a hint there of plurality in Yahweh, in the Old Testament. Beyond that, I can't speak and say, was well, that the second person of the Trinity? All right, so I don't know. And I, I think you don't want to become exact on things that are whatever, but I can tell you that that wasn't Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ only becomes Jesus Christ when he takes on human flesh. If he's appearing as an angel, he's not Jesus Christ. Because the angel could not, you know, the angel could not save, atone for our sins. And part of the other problem that makes it, and we show is Jesus Christ, the Hebrews 1 and 2 says he did not take on the likeness of angels, but he took on the likeness of humanity. Now the question is, did he, he didn't take on the likeness of angels for salvation. He could, took, he could have taken on the likeness of an angel, but not for salvation. So you see, it, it becomes a bit, so I don't know. So those two ones are very good because I don't know. The third one is even worse because I still don't know as well. But let me, let me put it this way. Let me answer it in a, more general, in a more general point. I've come here today to say, look, these things are very, 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 very important. 1 John tells us, the John, 1 John 4, if you deny that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, right, you have the spirit of the Antichrist. Those who have the spirit of the Antichrist cannot be saved. Okay? So to what extent does believing right doctrine, to what extent is believing the right doctrines um, important to the issue of salvation? And I want to say it's not as simple as, so let, let me take, for instance, 1 John. There's a difference between the time when the apostles were around and now that the apostles are not around. When the apostles were around, to reject the apostles was to reject Jesus Christ. Do, do you understand that? To reject the apostles was to reject Jesus Christ. There was no such thing as, well, okay, me and the apostles, we believe this up to 80% of, 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 um, of the same doctrine. But on this 20%, we don't actually agree. And so I'm going to form my own church that is different from John's own church. But you know what? Guess what I'm, I'm actually saved. If you leave John's church, when John is around, you are not saved. That's what 1 John 2 tells us. They left us. They went out of us to show that they were never truly part of us. Now, can I say, Kemi cannot say that. Many people use that nowadays in churches very, very lightly, right? These people left this church, 1 John 2, and because they left this church, they've shown truly that they weren't Christians. I'm sorry, your church has no apostle like those apostles, all right? So when John says, have fellowship with us, because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, it's because Jesus Christ single-handedly handed over the church to the 12 apostles. Now, after the 12 apostles and the spread of Christianity, it's now no longer just in Jerusalem. It's now going to the Gentile regions. Paul comes in. He teaches people for three months. He cannot teach them everything. It was only the Ephesians. He says, I have not withheld anything from you. I've taught you the whole counsel of God. But some of them, he started teaching them. They got saved, but immediately there was a riot. They pushed him out. 
To what extent were they not fully formed? To what extent did they not fully have the scriptures? And then I take it to today. A missionary goes to a particular place. They do not speak the language. Uh, the missionary doesn't speak the language. The language these people have never been ever encountered Christianity. So they don't even have the Bible. So the missionary spends 40 years translating the book of John. Or translating the New Testament. Obviously, they're not going to have the full, full doctrine, uh, their full doctrinal thing, uh, whatever, sorted. So... Nobody is fully saved when you have total, the total right doctrine. However, what matters, I think, is if the right doctrine, single, the real right doctrines are put before you in a clear way and you keep saying that it's not correct, then there is a problem. All I'll say is there are three tests that 1 John gives us to know whether somebody is a Christian. Right behavior, right doctrine, and whether or not you create division in the church of God. How people judge that, to what extent, is not an objective thing is going to be largely subjective. So all I would say with that is, whilst you may not be fully saved because you have all the right doctrines, your eyes and teeth crossed there, be very, very careful when you start tampering with some of the very, very foundational doctrines when they've been, they've been put forward to you. All right? Sorry, long-winded answer, but that's the best I can do. Any other question? I have a question. Okay. How does a good Sorry. or right understanding of the Trinity, how does it um, apply to us? <laughs> Say, ask how question. does it apply to us in practical terms? Okay. Um, you know, everyday living, our, our Christian life. Uh, I, I notice that sometimes um, I tend to concentrate on maybe one person, as it were, the Father, no, throughout my Christian experience, as it were, I'm maybe closer, so to speak, or more, um, more conscious, that's the right word, of one person, you know. But how, how does it work or how should it be, you know? Okay. Yeah. The, the right balance between, you know. Okay, so let me say first of all that, like I mentioned with the issue of prayer, Right? I think our prayers will be better. Our prayers will be better, will be much more informed. So when you say in Jesus' name, you know that you're not just trying to get a response from people. Right? I don't know if these people are sleeping. In Jesus' name, let me hear who is going to say amen. In Jesus' name is not a kind of magical thing that just gets response from people that they're praying. When you think that we are praying in Jesus' name and you know what is behind that, that is, without the atonement of the Son, there is no prayer to the Father. I actually think what happens is that a greater understanding of the, of the Trinity helps our prayers to be more informed and therefore deeper. Our prayers to be more informed and therefore deeper. Second, I think that um, a right understanding of Trinity keeps the health of the church. Let me give you an example. In the, from, um, the uh, 19th century in the West, Europe, and then America, and then maybe uh, more towards in 20th century. You can say that someone once classified, and I think I agree, that you could have different kinds of churches. That there are some churches that are called father, there were father churches. Some churches were son churches, and some churches were Holy Spirit churches. And every time it's always, uh, everybody has neglected the other one. Now, who are the father churches? Father churches were those who emphasized the fatherhood of God so much that, in fact, the fatherhood of God became the fatherhood of all mankind, right? 
the aspect of this in Martin Luther King's Martin Luther King Jr.'s kind of teaching, right? Um, um, he speaks about the, the, all the children of God to, speak, to sit on the table of brotherhood. Now, is God the father of all mankind? There are one or two verses in scripture that actually speak about that. Just one or two. But whenever you hear about the fatherhood of God, you cannot understand the fatherhood of God without understanding the work of the son. It doesn't make any sense. Our fatherhood of God is directly related to the, his relationship with the son. We are co-heirs with Christ. Through faith in Christ Jesus, we become the children of God. So if you stress the fatherhood of God to the neglect of the work of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Son, what you have is a liberal kind of doctrine where Jesus Christ is not necessary. And so when we chase justice, when we chase peace, it's all in, with act, the kind of activism, some, it achieves a lot of things, but it's not distinctly Christian. Now, I don't want to knock down some of those things because some of those movements have been very helpful. The church in South Africa that actually pushed against apartheid, a lot of them were like that, right? But eventually what starts to happen is that you don't take the doctrine so important. So, for instance, two, three years ago, um, this great man, Desmond Tutu, affirmed you know, homosexual marriage. And you can actually trace a line from the understanding of a, a, a not a very good view of the Trinity to that kind of place. Then you have the sun churches, right? Which will also be kind of Bibleish churches. And it's all about the sun, it's all about the cross, and these are churches who won't talk about suffering a lot because the sun suffered on the cross without talking about the power of the resurrection. In fact, in many of those churches, experience is all about what happens in the mind. It has nothing to do with the body. And then we can get into the spirit churches, which a lot of us have been part of. All right? And the problem with the spirit churches, the Holy Ghost spirit, uh, is experience becomes the chief thing. And we find out that, you see, if you ever want to honor the Holy Spirit, if you ever fully want to honor the Holy Spirit, be in step with what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. What's the Holy Spirit trying to do? What's the Holy Spirit trying to do? He's trying to disclose the Son. I can tell you where the Spirit is really operating in a particular church. How often is Jesus Christ mentioned? But if you try to make the Holy Spirit the star of the show, you are actually not walking in the Spirit. I like to say it this way. The Father is the screenplay writer. The Son is the main actor. The Holy Spirit is the director. How many times do you see the director? The director's job is to be able to take the script and make the main actor the star. The Spirit descended upon him, and the Father said, Matthew 3, 16, and the Father said, this is my beloved son. When he was talking with uh, Moses and with Elijah, they both disappeared. This is my son. Oh, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. The Father's job, wants, what the Father wants to do is to glorify the son. Because if the son is glorified, the Father is glorified. But for that to happen, the Spirit had to descend upon the son without measure. So that then protects, if we have that balance right in Trinity, we protect the gospel. We unleash the gospel. And if we protect the gospel and unleash the gospel, what's the power of God? Where is it manifested? In the gospel. So an imbalanced view of the Trinity doesn't help us in our growth, our spiritual growth. It doesn't help us in 
wording against doctrine, and it doesn't help us in our prayer life. Other than all those things, no, it's fine. You can do away with the Trinity. Point taken. All right, last, last question. Um, my question is actually related to the first question he asked, which has to do with the um, Arianism. Arianism. Did I answer that question? Okay. Yes. And it's that, okay, so when the guy or the, the crucified beside Christ made that comment. The guy crucified before. The, the, the guy. Oh, the thief. The thief, yes. Okay, that's not who he was talking about. You said? That's not what he was talking about. Okay, that was one you okay, okay, Arius okay. Then. Later. Okay, Arius. Okay, yes, okay. Yeah. So when when the thief made that comment, right, and it's um a heresy, in that case I would have expected Christ to probably correct the guy. And if it's okay, not you're mixing sorry, you're mixing things up. Arius was a heretic that came years after. So Arius is not the thief on the cross. Okay, Arius so when you was, say and this, Arius was a heretic. That okay, was the areas. that okay, was okay, yeah, okay, that okay, was okay. Uh, put on the stake. He was burnt on the stake for his heresy. See, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so okay. it was, it was right All right. Okay. Does anybody have? Since that wasn't really a question, does anybody have one last question? All right, then let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the time spent when we gather like this. It's not so much to be ex um, to to exhort, but it's to learn. It's to learn is to be taught from your word, is to, if you like, um, see the theory of the word. But we know that to be sustained, we need to be people of your word. We know that um, if the things that we have spoken here are right, it's because your spirit has given us illumination. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would help us, the things that we've learned, to give us, give us a healthy appetite, give us a healthy desire to know, to learn. If there are things we're still struggling with, help us to research, to, to responsibly uh, try to find these things out. But as well as asking the final question, when we know, we then want to be moved to action. When we know, we then want to have better fellowship with you. When we know, we then want to be more refined in our understanding. We don't want to become people that then look for arguments with other people, but want to be people who want to see the truth of God via the Spirit of God work um, um, it's, it's grand purpose in our lives. Make us to be that kind of people. Make us to be that kind of church, O oh Lord, to the praise and honor of the glory of your Son. We ask all this through his name we pray. Amen.